Well, I don't know if that's right, but good morning, Church on the Rock. <laughs> it It is so, oh, let me try to fix this. It is so good. Let's see, does that sound better? Okay, no? Oh, I don't know if there's, oh, Josh is here to the rescue. Look at this. Let's see. The tech team is just awesome. I don't understand this. So, good, good job, good job, tech team. Well, good morning, Church on the Rock. Now, it's so good, so good to be here with you. Some people enjoy the snow. I, I really hated the snow this morning, having to get out. I never wear gloves, so it's like wiping off your car with bare hands. It's like, well, with a brush, but with bare hands. It's just cold and, and miserable, but there's nothing miserable about being here with all of you. So this is great. Now, before I really get started, I want to start by sharing a story about some time that I had at an organization called Young Life. So this was the first job that I ever had. And what Young Life does is they work with Christian teens in high schools to reach those teens' non-Christian friends. And so it's a really cool opportunity to meet a lot of students who have never heard about Jesus before, and you basically get to share the gospel with them and see them as they learn more and, and grow more in their faith. It's a really cool place. And I was working with this one student, and he invited this guy out who he barely knew. All he knew is this guy was loud and kind of crazy. And this kid came out, and his name was Zach, and he was exactly like my, my student said he was. He was absolutely crazy. I, I couldn't repeat every second word that, that he said to me. Um, he, he grew up in a, a tougher home, and he spent almost all of his spare time at the smoker's pit at school. And so I was like, do you know what? This is the perfect place for a kid like Zach to come and hear about Jesus. And so Zach came, and like, to my surprise, he fell more and more in love with Jesus. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. This is crazy. And to the point where he started inviting all of his friends at the smoker's pit to come out to Young Life to hear about Jesus. And he was like, guys, I promise you this is cooler than you think it is. And so suddenly, Zach becomes a Christian. All of his friends are curious about Jesus. And I was like, Zach, do you want to, like, we can meet at McDonald's. We can do a, a Bible study. And he's like, that is the coolest thing ever. I was like, I've never heard a teen say that to me, that Bible study is the coolest thing ever, but I'll go with it. And so me and Zach start hanging out, and then his friends start coming out to this McDonald's to do Bible study. And I thought, this is just a fantastic opportunity. And so we studied the Bible, and then at the end of one week, I said, okay, now let's just, let's just pray for each other. And they all looked at me with these confused faces. And they were like, what do you mean pray for each other? I was like, you know, just like just pray. They're like, we, we have no clue what, what you're talking about. Um, and so I explained to them, well, prayer is just like we talk to God exactly how you talk to a friend. It's basically just a, just a conversation. And so they're like, okay, okay, I guess, I guess we get it. And so Zach was like, okay, can I go first? And I was like, sure, you can go first. And so he just closed his eyes like he'd seen me do before, put his hands out, and he said, what's up, my G? how you doing? And I burst out laughing. I was like, what on earth? That's, that's not a prayer. And then I was like, that's exactly how I told him to pray. 
I was like, pray just like you're in a conversation with your friends. My conversations don't sound like that. Zach's did. And I was like, that's, I told him to pray exactly like that. And it taught me a valuable lesson. And that is that prayer is confusing and strange. And prayer is very weird. Um, and it's something that I think we all, we all say we, we understand it, but really, we don't. Prayer is often uncomfortable and silly. There's a reason I feel like the, the biggest, just like how the, the main fear is like a fear of heights, but the main fear in the church is praying out loud. You ask someone to pray out loud, and it's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm going to sound stupid, because it, it sounds weird. You're just talking in the, in the middle of nowhere to, to something, and it's like, God, I, you know, I pray that today is a good day. What, what does that mean? So prayer is confusing. It's weird. It's silly. And I get the privilege of talking about it this morning. Uh, and that is, is good news for all of you because I am not very good at prayer. I am bad at prayer. So if you're here and you're like, do you know what? I don't think I'm a, I'm a prayer expert. Neither am I. Uh, every morning when, when me and my wife wake up, she wakes up earlier than I do. So I wake up and I'm, I'm very groggy. I'm very tired and a bit cranky. And before she leaves for work, she says, okay, do you want to pray together? And I ca- I'm kind of like, how, how do I respond to that? I'm a pastor. I can't say, no, I don't want to pray together. And so I try to get all of my groggy energy out. And I'm like, okay, I guess we just have to pray. I'm lazy at prayer. I often don't, don't want to pray or don't, don't feel like I need to pray. And so if you're here today and you're like, oh, man, this is the, the week on prayer, don't worry. I'm in that boat. Prayer is weird. I am not good at prayer. It is difficult. It's hard. And often we only come to serious prayer as a last resort. And I think this is, this is because of where we often see prayer. And weirdly enough, I don't think prayer happens the most in churches or temples or other religious spaces. I think actually we see prayer the most in hospital rooms, in hospital hallways. It's the places where we have no other option, where we are at our most desperate, our most vulnerable, and we say, we have zero power here. When you're sitting outside a hospital room and you're hoping that that someone you love gets better, you have no control. And so what can you do? That's when you pray. And actually, studies show it's not just Christians who, who pray in that case. It's everyone. Everyone turns to prayer. Even if you don't understand it, even if you don't believe in the thing that you're praying to, you turn to prayer because there's something desperate about how we think about prayer. But I think that that idea can also weed itself in our faith, that we pray when we're desperate, that we pray as a last resort. And that is what prayer is for. Or maybe prayer is actually a, a formality. It's kind of like saying grace before a meal, where you, every family has their like two-line grace that you say, and, and that's what you say before, before dinner each night, and everyone just takes turns saying it. And it's almost a competition not to say it. It's like, okay, you say grace. No, I don't want to. I did yesterday. It's your turn. I know, every, I know everyone does it. Prayer can become a formality. And so today, I want to share about how prayer can actually become a cornerstone of our community, just like it was in the early church. And so there are going to be three parts to this talk, three parts to this talk. The first uh, is going to be failure, okay? And that's going to detail the problem. The second is about leadership. 
and that's going to show the solution. And then the third is about imagination. And so this is the outcome. Okay, and so if you're a systems person, we're going to talk through the problem, the solution, and the outcome. We're going to talk about failure, leadership, and imagination. And each of these, each of these parts of it will go through a story from the Bible that we can see. And so we get to start off talking about failure, everyone's favorite subject. Wow. The people who said woo, I, I don't know who you are, but yeah, Lucas. There you go. Thank you. So this is in Luke 22. 39 to 46, if you have your Bible and you want to open it up, the words will be on the screen. This is right after the Last Supper, right after Jesus has, has said all that he needs to say to his disciples. And this is the last time he actually gets to spend with his disciples before he gets arrested. And this is what it says. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, "'Pray that you will not fall into temptation.'" And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. I want you to remember that, okay? He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I really love this passage because I, I feel it on many levels. Um, because Jesus has, has just said everything he needs to, and then now he's in this garden with his disciples. He knows this is his last moments with them. And so what does he do? He actually tells them, you guys need to sit here and pray, but I need to go and be by myself and pray. And I think often when we read this, we think of Jesus sweating and, and um, sweating out blood from this place of he's facing so much anguish, but actually this is tied directly to his prayer. And Jesus is praying so hard that he is sweating out blood because he is, is feeling so much in his soul and so Jesus is in this intense place of prayer, and he comes back to his disciples who had, he had just asked to pray, and what are they doing? They're fast asleep. And I'm like, oh man, I get that. Thank goodness they, thank goodness they failed too. Because I, I often think, do you know what? I know some of these things. Praying, reading my Bible is hard, but if Jesus was right here, and if he said to me, Kyle, I want you to go, and I just want you to pray, could I do it? And based on the, what the disciples did, I doubt I could do it. I, I, when I'm tired, I get grumpy, and I do what I want. And just like the disciples, they were tired, and they said, do we need to pray? Jesus told us to. Sure, let's start. They probably prayed for 10 minutes. Their eyes got tired, slowly drift off. Suddenly, Peter saw John snoring, and he was like, do you know what? If John's the first to sleep, at least I can fall asleep. And then when Jesus comes back, I can say, well, well, you know, he dozed off first. And the disciples, they failed at praying. And this was right after the Last Supper. Jesus, like, poured his heart out to them. And now he says, pray. And they couldn't do it. And I also think this is, this is wild because this is his final time with the disciples. If I was his disciples and I knew that this was the final time we were going to be with Jesus before he died, I would want a game plan. I'd be like, Jesus, give us something. Give us some, some strategy. Tell us, like, 
okay, here's some instructions. Here's what's about to happen. Here's what you guys are going to need to do. Or maybe we'll just sing kumbaya in a circle. But instead, Jesus just said, okay, stay and pray. And I'm going by myself. That's the last time he's, he's with his disciples. But that's because Jesus put such an importance in his life on prayer. And Jesus needed prayer, but his disciples did not feel that. They failed to pray. They fell asleep while Jesus told them to pray. And so they failed at prayer, just like how I often fail at prayer. Just like how I often forget its importance or forget that it's something Jesus did every day. That it's something that Jesus did not as a formality, but actually as the center of his ministry, he put prayer as important. And what's really interesting about this story is that right after this, when the guards come to arrest Jesus and they're with with Judas, and it's this, this really intense encounter, the disciples get up and they're wide awake and they pull out swords and they're ready, they're ready to attack the soldiers. And Jesus has to hold them back and say, no guys, we're, we're not fighting this battle with swords. They were so willing to pick up swords and fight just before they were so unwilling to pray. And I think that's really telling. And that shows, that actually can show us the culture that we're in. Because I think we're in a culture of doing and being and action. We, we like when we can control and achieve things. In prayer, often, if I'm being honest, it feels kind of, kind of useless. It's just like time that we could be spending doing, doing other things. And we often don't see the fruit that comes from it. It can be really difficult to see the worth in prayer especially because we appreciate things that we can control and things that we can understand. And sadly, we don't really understand prayer. We don't understand what happens when when we ask God to do things. We don't see the system in place that works between us asking and, and God doing. We know maybe sometimes prayers get answered. Lots of the time they don't. And we don't see any of the in between. And prayer is something we definitely can't control. Because if we could control prayer then we would all be praying 24-7. Because that would basically just be like having a genie in a bottle. But that's not what prayer is. And so prayer, we can't control it. We don't understand it. And that means we're a bit uncomfortable with it. Because it's difficult. And we face unanswered prayers. And prayer is hard. And it leaves us with probably more questions than we have answered. And so what was the failure of the disciples? Failure of the disciples was to pray. They failed to pray. They were unwilling to pray, even though they were willing to fight. And this was completely counter to who Jesus was, because prayer permeated everything Jesus did. Everything he did, he did in prayer. And so the failure to prayer, I think it's not just for the disciples. It can actually be for me. It might be for you. It can be for our community, where we put other things at a higher importance than we put as prayer. And so this this failure, it's not just a a problem back then. I think it's a failure for for lots of us where we downplay the importance of prayer. And so that's the problem, the failure to pray. And now we get to see the solution. And this is what the, the disciples did when they fixed their problem. They said, man, Do you remember how shameful that was, that when Jesus asked us to pray, we couldn't even do it? We fell asleep. We need to change 
our attitude. And so this is a story. This is in Acts chapter 6, if you want to start, start flipping there. And this shows the complete 180 of how they viewed prayer. And this is when Jesus has, has already resurrected. He's ascended into heaven, and he's given the, the church to his disciples, now called apostles. And they were the leaders of this movement with thousands of other people. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 6, 1 to 4. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So a quick note on that. That is just two, two different groups of Jews who were both Christian, but they were different ethnicities. And so they probably, there was a language disparity in there. Um, and just the communities were a bit separated, and these were growing pains in the church. They had these extra resources, they had food, money to give away, except the one group was getting overlooked than the other. And this was probably due to, to language disparities. This wasn't, you know, intentional. This just happens. And whether you work for a church, whether you work for a company, whether you have a family, you'll know as things get bigger, there are growing pains, and there are logistical problems to face. And so let's see how the apostles, the leaders of the church, faced this logistical problem. It says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God, so teaching, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is really interesting because this just shows the attitude that they have. They're faced with this logistical problem. The church is growing. People are being overlooked. Resources aren't being distributed well, and there's money to go around. This is a problem that, the, that leaders now, they'd be itching to deal with. Because it involves resources, it involves people, it involves money. This is huge. They'd be like, okay, this is right up, up my, my alley. This is CEO-level things that they would deal with. But instead of taking this on themselves, they appointed others to do it. And these could be called deacons at some churches. Some churches would consider them elders. It doesn't matter the title you give. But the apostles said, do you know what? Our leadership shouldn't be involved in this because we have more important things to do. And what are the more important things that, that we need to do? We need to pray, and we need to teach. I think that is absolutely crazy. Because could you imagine now, especially, you know, Dave, our lead pastor, if there's a huge crisis facing the church, and we come to him and we say, Dave, we're facing this crisis, what do we do? And he says, I'm going to hand this one off. I need to pray. It'd be like, what, Dave, no, this is, this is your job. But that's not what the apostles thought. They said, actually, prayer is our priority. Prayer is essential for us. This is something we need to focus on as well as teaching. Imagine hiring a pastor at a church just to pray. Your whole job is you are the prayer pastor. And you're not just leading people in prayer. We also just need you to pray. That would be kind of crazy. We couldn't imagine that. But that's what the apostles thought. 
And I think that's because prayer doesn't often align with our views and values of leadership. We want leaders to have answers and plans, but prayer says to God, actually, we need your answers. We need your plans. We don't have that. Actually, at Church on the Rock, we are blessed to have a leadership team who values prayer so much. And every meeting they go, and, and they don't come with their own agenda. They say, actually, God, we, we just need you. And we're going to pray you in, and we're going to listen to what you have to say. And so I love our leadership at the church because I think we value, we value prayer. We can still learn from the apostles in how they told everyone and showed everyone this is a logistical problem going on, except prayer is of fundamental importance. And not just for high-level leaders, prayer is important for everyone. And they prayed not just for little things. They didn't sit across from each other and ask, okay, what do you need prayer for? Who do you know in your life who, who is sick? Or, or, you know, I'm a youth pastor, so it's constantly, what do you need prayer for? A test is coming up. And it's often, there's a test coming up, and I haven't studied for it. I, I, need, I need prayer for that. University students, I'm, I'm looking at you too. Um, and I, I, I used to do that all the time. And those are the things we prayed for. But what did the early church pray for? They didn't, they didn't pray for that. They actually prayed for God's mission to be done on earth. They saw what Jesus did. They saw him heal. They saw him teach. They saw people freed from their, their baggage and their bondage. They saw people healed of demons that were afflicting them. And they said, what do we need right now? We just need Jesus' ministry back. And they, that's Jesus' mission on the earth. And so they prayed that mission back into existence in the church, in their communities, in their world. And so what did they pray for? They prayed for the mission of God to be all around them. And they could do that because we have the Spirit of God in us. All of you, if you call yourselves Christians, you have the Spirit of Jesus in you, and you can pray and say, actually, Jesus, I need you to act in my life the same way you did in the Gospels, because he's willing to. He's ready to. There are stories from around the world of Jesus acting in this way. And so I want to challenge us and say, what if our times of prayer were less focused on ourselves and more focused on God's mission and what God is doing? Imagine the things that God could do in your life, in the lives of people around you, in your workplace, in your kids' schools. God is willing to transform these communities, we just need to actually be willing to pray for that. And so the early church did not, they didn't have a strategy of prayer, and then they prayed for it. I mean, they didn't have a strategy, and then they, they prayed for it. Their strategy was prayer. They said, how should we be a church? We need to pray. Because when we pray, we allow Jesus' leadership to take hold. I think that's brilliant. They were like, actually, when Jesus was the leader of this and we were just 12 people following him around, that was ideal. And Jesus did a lot of good things. So what can we do? Let's just pray that Jesus leads us still. And we can still do that. We can do that if we open ourselves up to it. And so if you want to lead, then you need to learn how to pray. Because the church doesn't need you leading the church needs Jesus leading through you. And we have his spirit. And we need to be willing to say, do you know what? I'm going to be courageous in this. 
And so the solution to the, the failure was for leadership to make prayer a priority. And to say, if, the, if our failure was that we couldn't pray, our solution is going to be, prayer is going to be our number one priority. And that leads us to part three, which is imagination. Or this is the outcome of that leadership. And I have to be honest, sometimes the hardest part of prayer is imagination. Because I often end up praying the same mundane prayers over and over again, mostly just, just out of habit. And I lack these, these big prayers, these dream prayers that I could have, these, these missional prayers for God's kingdom, because I'm just in the habit of praying the same small, small things. And those small things are also important prayers. Me praying for health for my family, for, you know, success in a job. Those, those are good things that you should pray for, but we shouldn't limit ourselves to that. And so I rarely pray big prayers. And I think lots of us also don't often pray big prayers. And so this story that we're going to be looking at is about how God answers prayers. So this is in Acts chapter 12, and it's a bit longer of a passage. So it says this, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. I want to pause there. This is, this is James that you read about in the Gospels, and he's just been killed. He's been arrested and then killed, just like that. And so the church is probably reeling. This was one of their main leaders, and he was taken, and now they hear he's been killed. And when Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod, intending to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, so, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Remember when I told you to, to take note of how Jesus was praying in the garden and it said that Jesus was praying earnestly? Well, here we see that in this moment of crisis for the church, they gathered together and they were earnestly praying to God for him. And to be earnest is to have conviction, to have passion, to, to be sweating blood, just like Jesus did in prayer. And they prayed with conviction. And remember, this is just after James had died. And I can imagine when James was arrested, the, the church gathered in the exact same way. They gathered and said, okay, let's pray for James. Jesus can do all things. He can, he can you know, get James free. We've seen people be freed before. And so they were probably up all night praying, and they hear the news. James has actually just been killed. What a, what a gut-wrenching blow. That would just be, that would shake you. You know, that would make you question, is this, is this really real? And now Peter, another cornerstone of the faith of the church, was arrested. And they said, what should we do? We need to gather for prayer. We're not going to let what happened before, the unanswered prayers, stop us from praying. And so they got together and they prayed. And now let me read you the rest of the story. 
This is what it says. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. That sounds awful. I can barely fall asleep in a comfy bed. Between two soldiers, <laughs> no deal. And he was bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. You could tell they didn't want him to escape. They were like, we've seen people escape from prison before who, who call themselves Christians. We're not having it happen this time. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke, woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the, the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. This, this is a funny moment. It says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. He's like, that actually happened. Wow, I'm like here. He's probably pinching himself. It says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You have one job. You have one job. You hear Peter's voice, and you're like, oh man, it's Peter. I'm going to go back and tell everyone. And so she goes back, and, and this is what happened. They said, you're out of your mind. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. What this means is they're saying, if you're, if you're honest, and you think that was his voice, it must be his angel, he's dead. He's dead, and, and that's his spirit trying to speak to us. And they, they thought it happened again. Just like how James has died, here it is once again. But Peter kept on knocking, persistent ghost. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. What a crazy story. And my favorite part is that you can tell just from their reaction that they were not praying for him to escape prison. They were probably praying the same prayers that I would pray. God, give him favor with Herod. Help him to speak well. I pray that whoever judges this, that they would be fair. Those are the prayers I would have been praying. Those are the prayers they probably would have prayed for James. But here, all while they're at this prayer meeting, an angel is taking Peter by the hand and helping him escape. In a movie, you could almost see these shots side by side, and it would be hilarious. And I think so, so rarely during our prayer meetings, our times of prayer, we imagine what's happening on the other end. What is happening that we can't see. Because the disciples, they surely couldn't see this while they were, while they were praying. Peter showed up and they said, can't be real. <laughs> can't be real. That's not happening. It was only when they saw him face to face, they said, oh my gosh, God answered our prayers and he answered our prayers in way bigger ways than we could ever imagine. What does this show us? 
shows us that when we invite God to work, he does his things and he does them his way. Prayer isn't a, a magic spell where we ask him for things and he says, do you know what? You worded that perfectly. I'm going to give you exactly what you wanted for. No. When we pray, we just invite Jesus to say, we need you to show up and we need you to do what only you can do. Because if I could do it, I already would have done it. And so we need you to do Jesus' things. This, this actually, uh, there's a cool story I have of, of prayer. And a few years ago, I was working at a youth group and this group was crazy. Like the kids were, were just wild. Every week, we would have a mental breakdown of one kid an anxiety attack on another kid. Two kids did not get along and they fought every time until they said, we're never coming the same weeks as each other. It was truly just stressful. And at the end of, uh, at the end of, of each week, uh, we'd meet as leaders and it was like, man, that was just an uphill battle. That was tough. And if you've ever been a youth leader, thank you, God bless you, you're amazing. Because some weeks it can just be hard. And these teens were having a tough time. And so one week we got there, all the leaders were busy setting things up. And so in our leaders meeting, it was just me and two other people. And we said, there's no, there's no real use of going through the night because no nobody's, nobody's in this meeting. And so let's pray. But instead of just the normal prayers for the students, let's pray for exactly what we're dealing with. Let's name what each kid is going through. Let's name the kids we know might be on the verge of a breakdown tonight, let's ask that the two kids who are fighting, that they have complete reconciliation. And so me and those two other leaders, we sat there and we just prayed for exactly what we, we wanted. And we were like, we've been trying all year to get this group to, to really get it, to, to understand, and they haven't. And so God, we need you to do that. We prayed these, these big prayers for them. And in my mind, I was like, this is all we can do, and it's, it's probably not going to be enough. It's not going to happen. And man, it was the best night of the year. It was awesome. Nothing, nothing happened. No, no incidents happened. During small groups, all the kids were calm. They had great conversations, so much so that afterwards, all the leaders said, wow, that was the best night yet. Did you see how, how all of these kids, they actually had fun during the games? They got along together. The two, the two boys who were fighting, they talked with each other and they reconciled and they each forgave each other and apologized. It's like, we were like, that is amazing. What happened this week? And then me and the other two leaders, we said, actually, we just prayed for exactly that. Everything you guys just said, that's exactly word for word what we prayed for. God answered all of our prayers far beyond what we expected. And so what does this teach us about prayer. It's that we need to grow in our imagination of prayer. We need to grow in our imagination of how God answers prayers or he, how he wants to answer his prayers. We should pray prayers that kind of scare us and prayers that we say, there's no way God is going to answer this. Because those are the prayers that God wants to answer. Those are the prayers that God wants to hear. I still can't tell you how prayer works. I can't tell you the system. I can't tell you why God answers some prayers and doesn't answer others. I can't tell you why, why there are prayers you're, you've been so desperately praying for years and they've still gone unanswered when somebody prays once and that gets an answer. I don't have the answers. But all I know is that Jesus 
wants to see his mission done. He wants to see his kingdom come to Hamilton, to Brantford, to Burlington, to Oakville, wherever you're coming from. Jesus wants to work. And all we need to do is pray for that. And here at Church on the Rock, I want to encourage you to engage in prayer. Pray together often. Use the prayer corner at the back. Show up to the the prayer summit last Sunday of each month at the church. Before every service, people gather in that corner to pray for what's happening right now. Join a small group where you can pray. And I know lots of you are busy and you're like, I can't make lots of those times. Find people that you can invite over and say, do you know what, can you just pray with me? Let's meet once a week and let's pray. If you're having people over for a dinner party, what would it take for at the end of your dinner to put all the dishes away and say, do you know what, before we go play a game or watch the Leafs game, why don't we just pray for God's mission for 10 minutes? Invite Jesus in. And I encourage corporate prayer, prayer with other people, because when you're praying alone, it's too easy to fail. I fail often when I say, you know, I'm just going to pray in the mornings. And I still encourage you to do that. That's so good. But it's way harder when I ask my friend Owen, Owen, can we pray together? Because now it's like inviting someone to the gym. Neither of you wants to say no. And so, and you can't. So use each other. Use this community. And take the early church's wisdom, their hard-fought wisdom, and lead through prayer. prayer. Pray big, pray often, and let's pray for God's mission to be manifest around us. Now, as is fitting, I'll invite the worship team up, and would you guys join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, fill us with your spirit and give us a passion for your kingdom. Give us the eyes to see where you are moving in our lives and give us the heart to join you. I pray that you will give us a passion for prayer, that we would see prayers answered, and you working through us to impact our communities. Give us the imagination to pray big, scary prayers, and help us to strengthen each other when we don't feel like praying. And Lord, I pray that above all else, you would reshape our hearts so that they, they would look more like you, And give us the humility to know that there is so much that only you can do that we can't ever accomplish. But you have given us your spirit. And all you ask us to do is to pray. So God, I pray that you would just bless the rest of our time here together. God, help us to encounter you in worship. I pray all this in your holy name. Amen.